Well, there's a lot of water between where Jerome Powell sees the Fed heading and how Philip Lowe is seeing things. So why the big difference? We'll look at what next and why, as we hear from the two governors, how can the RBA get away with terminal rates that could possibly fall 150 basis points short of the Fed, for example? And the Bank of Canada overnight doing nothing as expected, but their currency still taking a hit. It's Thursday, the 9th of March, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a pretty mixed day. Uh, U.S. equities certainly mixed. The Dow is down 0.2%. The Nasdaq up 0.4% at close and 0.15% drop in the S&P 500. But European equities are up, half percent up for the DAX, for example. Bond yields were falling, but then they turned. Now up one basis point for 10-year treasuries and five for two years in the U.S. Down six for 10-year gilts in the U.K. Down four for 10-year bunds in uh, Germany. Whilst Aussie bond yields, well, they were rising yesterday up six basis points for 10 years up to 3.74 percent but then down six overnight down to 3.68 percent on futures three-year yields were up nine basis points yesterday to 3.47 percent and nudged one point higher to 3.48 percent overnight on futures and the u.s dollar it climbed a little further 0.2 percent overnight but then it lost almost all of that which has helped the aussie dollar regain some ground uh, for a while uh, then lose most of it actually as the u.s dollar tried to a bit of a resurgence, but the Aussie dollar 0.1% up on yesterday now, just above above 65.9 US cents. And further falls in oil. WTI is down 1.3%. Brent down 0.9% to 82.50 a barrel. So... In summary, a bit, a bit of a regaining of composure for a while after all the excitement yesterday morning after Jerome Powell and the RBA heading in, you know, different directions. Well, the same direction, but at different speeds. Uh, but so what about today then? Let's start on all of that with NAB's Tapas Strickland in Sydney. So for a while, Tapas, I mean, we saw bond yields falling, the Aussie dollar gain a bit of ground, but that's all been lost. And uh, we sort of are where we were this time yesterday, aren't we? Hey, good morning, Phil. Yes, some really interesting overnight moves. And I think the key underlying message here really is the market moves we did see on Tuesday have been sustained on Wednesday. So when you look at two-year yields, when you look at 10-year yields, they're pretty much where they were trading uh, in late Asia yesterday. So uh, two-year yield currently trading around 5.06%, 10-year yield currently trading at 3.99%. So nothing really to say what uh, Chair Powell uh, said today in House testimony was all that different to what he said in Senate testimony. And then when you look at terminal Fed funds pricing, uh, terminal Fed funds pricing has lifted further to 5.66% by September 2023. Yeah. Uh, that's up from 5.62% yesterday. So Is that because more expecting maybe next time it's going to be 50 basis points rather, you know, yes, it's going to yes, be that's right. so, uh, 50 basis point yeah. hike is now 71% price compared to 63% priced on Tuesday. So uh, terminal Fed funds pricing a little bit higher, yields pretty broadly un- unchanged on uh, the the levels that we did see in Asia yesterday. Mm. Um, just in terms of Powell's testimony, two things that I uh, noted uh, was one, he did deviate a little bit from his uh, set opening uh, s- script. He did say, I stress that no decision has been made on this in terms of the size of hike uh, in March. But he did say if the data were to indicate faster tightening is warranted, then we would be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. So he'll be looking obviously at payrolls on Friday and then also on uh, the CPI and PPI next week for a decision on that. And Mm. the second one is, and this is more from a political uh, aspect of it, is when you looked at House Democrats, they were less vocal in their opposition to Fed rate hikes than, say, in the past. And it does seem to suggest there is a lot of political consensus that the Fed does need to continue to hike rates in order to get inflation down. I think that's probably one of the key takeaway points. There had been some thought that perhaps 
um, central banks were losing some of the political capital in hiking rates so aggressively in the front of inflation. But the testimony all does suggest that they still have a lot of political capital there, um, a lot of angles in terms of wanting to get inflation back down again. Well, the differences, that we, of course, yesterday between the, the Fed and the RBA is what, you know, for, for example, why we saw the uh, movement in bonds and why we saw the Aussie dollar so much uh, down. So Philip Lowe uh, talking yesterday um, seemed to be, well, perhaps perhaps a little less dovish, perhaps. I mean, uh, closer to a pause, for example, although he also said, you know, there could be more tightening. So which one is it? <laughs> it's, it's a very good question. And you asked in the opening remarks, you know, what is the big driver of the difference between what's going on with the US Fed and what's going on with the RBA? And uh, RBA Governor Lowe, at his speech, did open up the possibility of, of a pause at some point, but he didn't exactly give too much of a timing there. Um, the market had been toying with the possibility perhaps the RBA wasn't a wasn't going to go in April and received a little bit of a pushback on that, you'd have to say. Um, so Lowe said they'll be looking at the totality of data. They are very data dependent. And um, effectively, their base case really is that further tightening is needed in the economy. So he said he'll be looking quite closely at a number of different variables, uh, including uh, employment, um, the monthly CPI indicator and the NAB business survey, which incidentally comes out next Tuesday um, to make a decision on that. And our view is if employment bounces back as expected, then uh, the RBA is likely to hike in in April. And then we still think there's a fair bit of stickiness in Australian inflation. So we think they'll hike again in May, but no no doubt uh, the RBA has raised the prospect of pausing at some point. And you'd have to say if the RBA is thinking they need to get the cash rate to say 3.85 or 4.1% as is our forecast, and the US Fed looks like it's going to get to say 5.6 or even 6%, then that that differential is going to be very large. Yeah. And what does that do to the Aussie dollar? I mean, presumably that, you know, it it keeps it down. Yes. You'd have to say it puts down pressure on the Australian dollar. And uh, as I know before in the um, opening remarks, uh, when you look at financial market pricing, uh, it's pretty much broadly what it was on Tuesday. So you look at the Aussie, it's currently sitting at 65.90. So Bank of Canada, um, so it's interesting that the Canadian dollar fell, even though they did everything that was expected. No move, stuck on 4.5%. Nothing surprising was said. They just want to wait and see what the impact of the rises so far is. And of course, you know, they're 425 basis points. They've risen eight in a row. So, you know, perhaps it is time to sit back and see. And of course, you know, the inflation has come well down. And yet the Canadian dollar's taken a bit of a hammering for it today. Yes, I think... Uh, Not a big hammering, but it is down. Uh, I think markets had uh, thought maybe the Bank of Canada would be less dovish uh, uh, coming out of that meeting, just given what's going on across the border with the US Fed, but that didn't really mm. turn out to be the case. So that probably explains some of the weakness you did yep. see in the Canadian dollar. Uh, just worth noting, though, e- even though the Bank of Canada held, markets are still pricing in 33 basis points of hikes by September, so around 1.3 hikes from the Bank of Canada. And the key difference between the Bank of Canada and, say, the RBA and also the US Fed is that they're actually seeing inflation co- coming down, and they think they'll see inflation around the 3% by the middle of this year. And when they look at the three-month annualized of core measures, they're hovering around 3.5%. Um, so something is slightly different with the inflation process in Canada. It remains to be seen whether that um, changes, just given you are seeing stickiness in services inflation across the border in the US. But for now, the Bank of Canada can see some easing up in those inflationary pressures, can forecast inflation getting 
back to target. And that's one of the main reasons that they're able to pause. And did Philip Lowe give reasons why in Australia he thinks, you know, we can get away with maybe 150 basis points less than the United States? Yeah, he, he gave um, two reasons. So one was he still thinks wages pressure in Australia is less than what you're seeing offshore. And the second one is just the potential impact from variable and fixed rate mortgages as they mature and what kind of impact that could have on consumption. But the RBA governor did have a really interesting chart in his speech, and it just noted that total mortgage repayments have been unchanged over the past few quarters, even though uh, interest rates have risen. So effectively, what households have done is they've reduced their excess repayments at the same time as their minimum repayments have increased. So it is an interesting dynamic, and it is possible at the aggregate sector that total repayments don't rise, households merely reduce the amount of excess repayments they're paying on their mortgages. So in terms of risk towards uh, the Australian outlook, the risk would be you don't get as large of an impact on household consumption as everyone is fearing. And uh, perhaps that Australia has to get a little bit closer to the rates we're seeing elsewhere. And, you know, and top marks to Philip Lowe out of all the central bankers, he does look like the one who is actually genuinely concerned about uh, what rising interest rates do to uh, do to people and, you know, mortgage, mortgage affordability and that sort of stuff. He looks like he actually does care about that stuff, perhaps more than other central bankers. And uh, look, the US numbers uh, we got overnight, um, nothing here to suggest that the Fed will do less, is there? In fact, the ADP employment numbers for February, a big upside surprise, 119,000 new jobs in January, rising to 242,000 new jobs in February. I mean, they were expected to rise, but not by that much. I mean, wage growth was down. But, you know, from 7.3% to 7.2%, I mean, they are still pretty high. So nothing there to say things are getting better and, uh, you know, that the, the Fed can start easing off. And then job openings uh, also down, but not as much as expected from 11.2 million in December down to 10.8 million in January. So take the last six months. That's the second highest number. So that's not slowing either. So two numbers not really showing that the uh, the, the, the labour market is really losing its tightness. Oh, indeed, those jobs figures would suggest that the labour market remains extremely tight. And just worth noting, the prime months were also revised higher there. Uh, the key stat for me mm. is really when you take those job openings divided by the number of unemployed people in the US, you get 1.9 job openings per unemployed person. So still a very tight labour market. And Chair Powell has previously said he wants that ratio closer to one. So um, still a lot of progress more to go in terms of loosening up that labour market. What I thought was interesting is um, within the details, openings are falling sharply in, say, IT, construction and real estate. So all the sectors that we know, there's a lot of weakness. But interestingly, where you're getting growth in job openings is in leisure and hospitality and retail. So that whole pivot towards services consumption and constrained levels uh, of um, employment in those sectors, just given the participation rate in the US hasn't risen by as much as elsewhere. Yeah. All right. Hey, someone else, uh, Christine Lagarde. Okay, here's another central banker. She was talking at the International Women's Day uh, at a meeting for the World Trade Organization. Uh, and she was talking about the reason why they are pushing so heavily on inflation is because it's the underprivileged and the vulnerable who are the prime victims of inflation. So that's why she's doing it. So she did look generally concerned as well. Uh, but look, uh, the numbers coming out of uh, Europe. So first of all, retail sales for Germany 
uh, and then also the GDP growth. I mean, these are this is the third estimate, so normally it would, we wouldn't be too concerned about it, but they were revised down a bit, weren't they? So from 1.9% to 1.8%, while Q3's number was revised up from 2.3% to 2.4%. So, I mean, but it's sort of almost rounding errors, isn't it, Tatas? Uh, yeah, I guess the key takeaway is uh, Eurozone Q4 GDP uh, was, was flat, whereas previously it was expected, uh, well, previously it had been recorded as a 0.1% rise. So um, if you were to get a negative Q1, then obviously you get those kind of technical recession kind of headlines out there. But undeniably, uh, the European economy still remains relatively weak, although um, the sentiment around Europe has improved just given the recent mild winter weather. And uh, just worth noting in Germany, although retail sales were weaker than expected, industrial production was was stronger. So industrial production rose by 3.5% month to month against uh, 1.4% expected. Right. Okay. So today, uh, well, it's a fairly quiet day, isn't it? We get New Zealand's retail card spending. Uh, so a bit of a heads up for uh, what the retail spending is going to be like, I guess. And uh, CPI and PPI. So we can see what uh, inflation is doing in China uh, and the uh, the jobless claims from the United States, which, you know, we're sort of like a day out from non-farm payrolls. But, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at it, of course. Uh, definitely. And for, for me, I'll be looking quite closely at the Chinese CPI and PPI. Their figures for February, so they can perhaps give you a little bit of a guide just to see how much this uh, kind of rebound we have seen in late December and January and into February uh, is panning out to be either more inflationary or um, relatively neutral. And here the PPI is probably the one to watch as kind of like a measure of whether China is still going to be exporting disinflation to the rest of the world. Consensus there is uh, negatives 1.3% year on year. So if it is uh, 1.3% less year on year, what is the how big is that deflationary impact on, on, on the rest of the world? I mean, could this be our saviour? <laughs> So over the past, say, 20 years, uh, global goods has broadly been disinflationary or neutral to to CPI. Um, So we'll be looking whether that that continues and China will be a good barometer of whether that that continues or not. If for whatever reason you get positive goods inflation occurring, then that would mean that services invasion has to be has to come down in order to accommodate uh, mm. lift in goods inflation. Well, that seems like a bigger ask, doesn't it, given the, uh, the direction things have been going in lately. But anyway, we'll watch with interest today on that one from China. But uh, for now, good to talk, Tapas. Catch you next time. That is. Thanks, Phil. And that is the morning call for this Thursday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. 